The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Okay, welcome back to The Video Insiders. I am here with my co-host, Dror Gill. Today, we are talking uh, with a good friend uh, from the industry, uh, David Hassoun, who is uh, CEO of Realize. And uh, David, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, it's great to be here, Mark. Angela. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we've been uh, talking, I think I approached you like even when the podcast first began, so more than a year ago, and it was always, yeah, 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 let's get a date on the calendar. So I'm happy we're finally able to... Uh, to do that. Yeah, it's past due. I'm excited to be here. Well, David, why don't you, first of all, uh, tell us about Realize, what you guys do, and then uh, let's let's jump in. I know we've got a, a, a very timely uh, agenda to discuss, but tell us about Realize. So uh, I started Realize uh, about, I think it's, uh, geez, over 18 years ago now. So we've been around for a while. And we started at kind of, a, you know, the old school rich internet application uh, type of company. And then, you know, within a few years, we still really started kind of getting that focus within video. Um, and we love working on, you know, video-centric projects, whether it's from the kind of client side, building out advanced video players and SDKs or the client uh, applications, mobile, TT, and so forth. Um, we also do a lot of work within the, the media workflow side and, and media processing as well. So whether it's like AI and ML integration, uh, media packaging, uh, we've done really cool enterprise CDN uh, type of development and work as well. And we've got to work with some really cool companies all uh, through the years. We've worked with uh, companies like NBC Sports, um, Viacom, uh, EA Games, Oracle, uh, Adobe, U.S. government, a um, bunch of different cool projects over the years. And uh, we've gotten to do some, some fun work and, and work on some really major events, um, which has been always really exciting. So, uh, yeah, we're about 25 people or so located here in Denver, Colorado, and um, all working remote, uh, which luckily in our industry uh, isn't too hard um, to switch those gears over and uh, keep focusing on on what we love to do. So you always work remote or just now? No, 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 no. Normally we all work in an office uh, here in Denver, uh, downtown. We work in an old mansion. It was built in 1890. Um, and it's a, like a four, four-story old building with huge pillars. Um, we all generally work from, from there, but... Uh, uh, just the fact that you know, our, our industry as a whole was able to switch over and go remote pretty quickly and easily. We already had you know, some people who did a little bit of remote days here and there. So um, process and tooling was already there. That's great. And you think you're going to do more of that uh, in the future? When we go back to the normal or the new normal, it depends what that new normal looks like. I mean, right now that's the kind of the big question is like, what when's it really go back to what we used to know as normal, and how long that's going to be, um, and you know what do we have to do in between then? So you know, we'll, we'll work in this route as long as we have to. Generally speaking, you know, myself and most of our team really like actually being together in a building, and we get really good collaboration and. Uh, and so forth too, and you know, we're obviously adapting to this to the new norm now. Um, but the expectation is that we'll go back to being primarily a collaborative in-person single location. But we, you know, we've always had the option for people to do more remote work, and that's just been also something that we've seen 
um, just in the technology industry, let alone the, the video streaming side where you know, more and more people are really interested in having the option to work remotely a portion of the time at the very least. Now, are you guys uh, doing the typical, you know, you're on Zoom calls or uh, so that you at least get kind of that face to face? Oh, yeah. Now we use a lot of the so, you know, we use uh, the Google Hangout stuff a ton. We still do like our all hands meetings um, like once a week with video. Yeah, with video. And we do like, a, you know, we, we do some social stuff on there as well just so we can keep kind of our culture going so you know this is a perfect lead-in talking about all this video um to talk about bitrate efficiency and um the fact that uh obviously you know even if if you've never read or seen any of the studies or you know the data the statistics about how much streaming is increasing just anecdotally no one has no one's surprised that um you know there's a heck of a lot more streaming going on these days and um you know that certainly puts some pressure on the networks and so uh, I think it would be really interesting, um, uh, David, to start with talking about, you know, what's happening in the area of of reducing bit rates um, now for kind of the first time. It's it's not sort of a, a a nice to do or nice to have, but it's becoming required. And maybe you can start by even even telling us a bit about what uh, the EU recently mandated, and then uh, you know, let's have a conversation around what you're hearing, seeing you know, with the clients you're working. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's been a lot that's kind of happened here recently in that regard. It started in a couple different countries within Europe and it's just kind of spread from there, but ultimately, you know, government's first starting to ask, and then I think leading towards mandating, um, like, listen, we're having an overall internet capacity issue and, you know, Streaming is, is assumed and, and viewed as its culprits within there and definitely plays a major part within that. And especially with so many people, you know, going, doing the work from home, it started off as an ask to, hey, listen, you know, first at Netflix, then to, I think, Amazon, YouTube, and some others. Um, can we reduce the overall peak that you guys are utilizing because this is starting to have bigger issues? It went even further from that as to, you know, asking all the users, the, the, the general population, like don't, you know, don't do you know, high quality streaming during business peak hours, you know, where, where this is now having also a greater impact. Um, but the general gist being that the overall internet capacity um, for a lot of countries and a lot of regions and so forth is becoming really taxed because of everyone doing everything online and streaming being a big part of that. Then it can be compounded even worse with you know, releases of games where they have you know, 80 to 100 gigabyte downloads that everyone's doing at the same time, too. And what that first kind of reaction was and, and what you know, I think Netflix originally did and, and I think others kind of followed in suit is, OK, hey, listen, if we remove our top uh, quality out of our bitrate ladder, um, you know, we'll then see an overall reduction. Um, generally speaking, it was, hey, if we remove our top quality, we should see about a 25 percent overall bandwidth reduction. Now, a lot of this messaging at first was pretty kind of you know, unclear. And this is where, you know, you get the difference between governments and news and, and then, obviously, then obviously industry tech. But it was, you know, a matter of like, well, okay, we're going to switch over to SD versus HD. And say, okay, well, what does that even mean then? This um, uh, kind of hashtag switch to SD, this was, I think, initiated by, by the regulators or, or by the media, but definitely not by the streaming companies themselves. And eventually they did not switch to SD. No. And that's the thing, that's where you get like, you know, from kind of, you know, general public media and even some government understanding and so forth, you know, like, oh, hey, listen, you know, HD is a problem. We need to get off that. We got to go SD. Um, okay. 
Like really, that's probably not going to be realistic and happen, especially for what the quality people demand, big screens and so forth. Um, and that's even reasonable. Um, but ultimately, you know, there is the difference between, okay, what's the general messaging and then what's the actual action that took place. The actual action was dropping the highest bit rate out of the ladder. Um, and like what Netflix actually did, it didn't matter which kind of plan or system that you're on, whether you had like their Ultra 4K one, their, their HD, or even on their SD stuff, um, they pretty much just dropped the highest bit rate from whichever ladder that you would be accessing normally, uh, depending on your device and all these other things that they do. Um, and therefore, overall, it gave them a 25% reduction. Now, not necessarily everyone even would have been on there. And that's an interesting question. Like, well, if we have these high capacity issues already, you know, how ABR should work is if things are now being congested and slowed, ABR in theory can, you know, could kick in and actually start reducing the bit rates automatically for those users to draw that down. Some people said that you can, you can count on the ABR mechanism to adjust, but ABR mechanism adjusts to your specific bandwidth that you get to your home. And if you have enough bandwidth, then it will take the top layer and then aggregate it across all the internet. You get a big load on the backbone, um, which uh, which cannot be reduced by the ABR. This can only be reduced if you mandate that that uh, top layer is gone and then it's gone for everybody. And then everybody's accessing a lower layer and then overall uh, the peak uh, internet load is reduced. Right. And that's where it kind of becomes, it's a middle ground. And Netflix, I say, like, listen, you probably won't even notice a quality difference between one step down on their ladder. Being that they obviously usually do a fairly deep ladder. Um, some, you know, other streaming services don't have nearly as deep of a ladder, so it can be a bigger jump. But that that really becomes kind of an interesting challenge and so forth. And, and even with this, like, you know, how much of this is really going to be solved by that? Um, you know, and is it the ISP level? Is it, the, is it the overall internet and CDN level that's being impacted and so forth? And we're seeing that impact in different levels in different areas. And that's where there's questions of like, well, if, you know, is, is open caching solutions that can start bringing caching closer to the user is something that could really be a major benefit and offer a huge offload um, in these situations. And there's, you know, really good kind of arguments in, in that direction as well. But that's not something that's necessarily a, a quick, easy fix um, to roll out. And Netflix is, you know, top tier. Um, they they do some of the best when it comes to encoding um, quality versus bit rate and output um, that, that, you know, I think we generally see out there. Um, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for a lot of other providers out there to potentially improve their quality um, with their encoding process to, you know, squeeze out more. And it's the trade-off of time, money, and so forth for that. But you know, these are huge libraries that these guys are also streaming. And since live is you know, now less of the focus um, in what's being consumed, that becomes a challenge in itself. But it does bring up, you know, interesting concepts about what could be done. You know, we have new generation of codecs, whether it's AV1 or HEVC, as well as, you know, going down to content and title and scene-specific encoding, um, all things that, that are you know, known to have a real good potential, but um, you know, it, no one thought we were going to need them overnight, um, and now we kind of do. So do, do you see a, a move to new codecs? For example, HEVC, we know, is uh, up to 40% more efficient than AVC, which is the, the widely used codec uh, for streaming and many other applications. And on the other hand, there are many devices today that support HEVC decoding. There are billions of devices that are HEVC enabled in hardware. So are you seeing um, a larger shift towards using more of HEVC uh, encoding in streaming services as one way to address uh, the problem of bandwidth? I definitely see it's one way. I think, though, you know, the challenge of even on the HVC, so on the device side, there's, there's you know, potentially really, really good support. On the website, it's really lacking right now. 
right? Um, and then does this mean, well, we're going to go HEVC and, and AV1 and challenges of both within the encoding and time to output and, and so forth um, become questioned? Definitely on, on the AV1 side, where historically that was a bigger challenge, it's starting to get a little bit better. Uh, I've been a real big proponent and fan of HEVC, but the adoption on non-device-specific stuff has been a challenge there. I do see that as something that's going to be looked at much more closely and, and, and offer a potential solution to really start achieve uh, that higher quality and that better experience. Um, but, you know, there, there's always a counterbalance and always a counter argument, right? Um, I remember at uh, the Mux conference, uh, DMUX conference a couple of years ago, um, there was a great presentation put on by guys at, at YouTube regarding around, okay, does, does the highest quality really matter to users? And they did a lot of testing off of a real broad user base. And, and ultimately, you know, their findings were as the quality is not the, the king. Um, it's the, you know, the, the start of time, the ease of access, ease of use, um, and readily available and perform well. Those are the, the critical factors um, that mattered most. Now, once again, this is specific to their platform, their type of content is going to be generally more short form, although they, they branch into long form too. Um, so you, ha you have to wonder, you know, okay, great. Is the immediate need going to be such a large shift over to that? And is that going to give us that benefit that we need? Or is it need to be handled more on the delivery uh, or, or what? What's going to make the biggest difference to users? You know, and, and this this varies across different platforms as well. Obviously, when you're on the you know the big screen experience, um, you know, the, the quality threshold is going to be much different. And there's also already a much more inherent quality standard if you're looking at something on your TV um, that it should be at least on parity what you would normally see off a of broadcast. But I definitely think that these new codecs are going to be something that becomes more of a focus on to think forward. But I think the the next step is, okay, the world's a bit changed now. What's happened today can easily happen again. And regardless, we're going to see changes into the ecosystem to how people do work, how they work with content, what's going on, what devices they potentially also favor as well for different types of uses. But what else, right? Whether that is things like improving caching or adjusting and or having dynamically adjustable ABR algorithms. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where clients lean towards towards the future to handle these situations when, if um, they happen again. Yeah, those are some really interesting insights. Um, traditionally, I, I mean, let's face it, and our audience are largely engineers. Um, I know, you know, you're working with, you know, with the engineering side of the house, with the projects you're doing. So we're all, we're all on the technical side. And for the most part, uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, uh, there's obviously exceptions, but, you know, there's kind of the business side of the house and the business side's like, hey, you know, you, you guys, you know, just just make it look good. Keep it running. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, and I'll worry about, you know, our subscriber numbers and you know, our business model, et cetera. But it seems to me like this situation is interesting because, you know, now all of a sudden the business side needs to understand, like, what's this whole ABR thing? Like, what are the factors that play into, um, uh, you know, the quality that we are able to deliver or not able to deliver, you know, based on certain, again, whether it's, you know, an EU regulator saying, hey, you have to reduce your bit rates 25%. And some services are in a much better position to manipulate their ABR stack and basically say, hey, we have a solution and and here's what it'll do. And, um, and, and I agree with your comment. Netflix is absolutely one of the best, um, but probably arguably the best 
in just providing, you know, very high quality encodes, very efficient, low bit rates, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and so they're in a good position to make these adjustments, but like outside of Netflix, a lot of other services had very traditional architectures and topologies and, you know, you just reduce a layer and it's going to be noticed, you know, either because you're going to drop resolution uh, again, simply because they're, they're not encoding, you know, multiple profiles at each resolution like, like Netflix is. So, um, you know, I'm curious because you're doing projects, you're working with a lot of these large services, you know, what's your sense? I mean, do you think now that, you know, the business side of the house is now having to know (laughs) what the engineering side is doing, do you see that there might be a little more um, where it's kind of like, Hey guys, I now understand that we do have some codec options and, and how come we're not using HEVC, VP9, you know, AV1 is sort of like, yeah, but it's not really here yet. So you really can't say, how come we're not using AV1? Do you see a scenario where maybe some of these decisions are going to get fast tracked where previously they were able to be stalled out? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the key is we're starting to see those conversations are, are happening or are going to be happening coming from the business. Like, okay, guys, how can we do parity or better with less? Part of this is to be across the board. Like, okay, time to tighten belts. We need to do more with less, which is the worst thing to always hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and engineers love to, you know, hey, give us time and we're going to build the perfect solution. You know? Oh, yeah. We want to do more with less and we want to do it really, really quick. Really fast. Yeah. Like, like now. Now let's make it happen, guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think those can lead towards that. But yeah. the problem is it, it's, it's, you know, it takes us into an area that we really don't want to go. Right. Um, that we're now going to, OK, well, we can deal with this, but now we're going to have to do multiple different, um, you know, Kodaks. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is yeah. a life that none of us really want to go back. Sure. To. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, and we're going to have to deal with it in this way. And this is the reasons why we didn't before. And these are the costs. And this is the issues that we're going to face if we go this, but we can meet that. And it's really, it's going to be a shift of, well, what's the biggest drivers, right? From the business side to the consumer and then the technical. It was like, what is it that what's going to become most important? Is, and how is that changing from what it was to what it will be? Is it, we need to do you know, good as good as or better quality than we've delivered before in a more efficient route? Um, does that become the new mandate of like, this is the norm? You know, okay, cool. Well, we can re-encode our, you know, our library, but this is what it's going to look like from a time and the cost perspective. And this is what we're going to get out of this from the end result. We can add more sub-level um, step down so that our quality can maintain. Maybe we'll start adding some higher um, and, uh, you know, HEVC or, or VP9 content um, to the stack, uh, which we can do you know, on the HV side, which is nice because we can intermix it with the, the ABC stuff too, potentially, um, and then do the client side stuff to address for that. But that's where we're going to see, I think, a, a big shift as to timing and priorities, especially with you know, things like sports being now shelved for a while and seasons, you know, real big risk and continually going to get pushed back and see where those things lay out. That's going to be a, a rolling impact as well. That's interesting because sports are are live. It's all live workflows. And now we're talking all VOD and that's actually a good thing because you know, fundamentally, um, we can allocate uh, different types of resources. We can, uh, there are some more effective ways um, or more efficient and lower cost ways to encode with very high quality with VOD than with live, Right. you know, so, so that's a good thing. We were pointing out 
in, in our last interview with Dan Rayburn, where we were talking about Netflix and how efficient they are in their encoding. And um, it, it's remarkable that their, uh, their new 4K HDR profile, it's sub eight megabits. And this is good looking video. And so I think now no longer is it sort of a nice to have or a like, well, but you know, we control our network. And so we can kind of dump as many bits into it as we like. And and our business model and this no longer is that possible. And now it's incumbent on all of us, you know, to be good citizens of the internet. And for the most part, the, the networks have held up really well, you know, and it, and it's even argued in Europe that in reality, you know, things were under, under pressure, but they were not breaking. But the fact is we have to be good citizens of the internet, you know, as video distributors. And I think that one of the big priorities before was, okay, listen, we got to hit these really big qualities. We got to hit this really big bit rate, especially in the live side and, and go with it, whatever route we had to, because they weren't held to now uh, a requirement or you know, standard of like, hey, we got to do this the most efficiently. Necessarily, it was more about reaching those those key milestones. Um, and now it's like, okay, well, not only do we have to be the good stewards, there are impacts that you know, we've also already been seeing with some of our customers of congestion and so forth, at, at, especially during peak times and whatnot. And what does that do to the overall performance metrics and so forth? And if we were trying to push bit rates like that, you know, we would just get hammered and let alone you know, now potential government um, involvement yeah. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, especially for, for things that get, you know, too much attention <laughs> yeah. um, or, or too much user base. So definitely, I think that's going to be one of the key things that we have to look at. And, and, you know, there's things that we can do today to improve upon what's already out there by putting more attention, more time. And absolutely. In the VOD side, you know, I think you really touched on that. Like, yes, it is so much easier and a lot more options in regards to really fine tuning and, and squeezing out that quality um, to size ratio. Right. Um, whereas live, that's, that is more of a challenge and live, you know, a lot of it's kind of on hold, at least as far as the, the, the volumetric stuff, you know, we're seeing potentially really high growth in some of the, the esports stuff and that type of thing um, from a live perspective. Um, things that you can still do that are in the sports realm um, in this new, new you know, reality that we're in. But that's where, you know, we, we need to see how we can also improve in that realm, too, especially as they start to open back up. Yeah, but for for sports, I guess it will take still uh, some time before uh, very large uh, gatherings are allowed. So, do you think that specifically for sports, there will be um, more requirement to broadcast in higher quality, so as uh, to bring like the stadium experience to the home because you don't have the alternative? Uh, so maybe you'll have matches without audience, but then you stream them in 4K P60 HDR or maybe even 8K. So at home, you can really get uh, as close as experience as possible to what you would get in the actual stadium. Right. But then we could have even a greater volume metric from a user base watching, which is great for the broadcasters and the advertisers and so forth. But then, you know, that's going to be the trade-off. So, I mean, people are thirsty for some sports right now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's what's going to happen. You know, already, I think WWE is going to be kicking back on, you know, the big stuff later this year. We're going to have NFL and EPL and so forth. Assuming they move forward, I think there's a really good chance you can have empty stadiums, potentially, like, mandated, like, they can play broadcast only or, or whatever route that's going to be, you know, there's still going to be a lot of people in, in lockdown situations or scared or staying home for whatever reasons. And, you know, we're going to see potentially much, much higher numbers as far as viewer base with that from the streaming perspective. Um, but they are going to want that quality, you know, make this the best it can be on my nice big, you know, 80 inch 
4K TV. Yeah, that's right. And that leads into, I mean, there's a huge change and shift going on in the advertising space right now where you have you know, a lot of advertisers that are scared and trying to pull back where the old advertising plans and, and the whole marketing plans that were set forth are, are now relatively moot. Um, you know, there's not, there's not people going to stores. Um, it's what we can do online, um, let alone the messaging that's being sent. You know, people are really focused on, on seeing how people, you know, they want to see in their advertising how these companies are recognizing the seriousness of the situation of what we're in you know what they're doing for the world for their company their people um and all these things like there's a lot of change going on and and people don't know really where that's going to lie out and let alone what's that engagement look like online with that um with uh, a user base very concerned about their money or they even have a paycheck coming in with the unemployment going up so much um there's huge factors that are are really i think going to be shifting even the advertising um, landscape uh, within the streaming space um, not just the streaming space and that's going to be interesting to see what that actually plays out as well so on one hand people will want to um, move from subscription based and, and paying monthly fees uh, to free models to advertising backed models because they don't have the money but on the other hand advertisers need products and services to sell uh, in order to fund uh, those um, those streaming services and uh, if, if the economy is not back on track and you can go back to to selling stuff in in stores and selling uh, services uh, you don't have much to advertise so it's kind of a you know chicken and egg problem with the whole advertising model exactly and I think that's gonna be really interesting challenging I think that's you know the with the peacock stuff being launched here soon I think that's end up being something that I don't think they foresaw in this regard um, but end up being a potentially a really interesting play that they've come out with is you know a top tier uh, OTT subscription um, platform that offers you know a completely free advertising driven platform option as well right you know obviously Hulu did this in the early days um, um, in addition to uh, but now this could really ring true for all these people who are like okay hey I got to figure out how to cut cost well hey I can still access all this content for free but if you know Comcast NBC isn't able to support this through their advertising then that's going to be an issue for them so I think it's going to be a really interesting time and space of where we're just have so many shifts because um, with the advertising system changing and that, that obviously has a huge impact a lot of sports broadcast too as that comes back online with potentially much larger markets of viewership as well so therefore the kind of inherent costs for the broadcasters will, will potentially have some level of increase which is completely offset with advertising um, as long as that advertising is there and I think that it will be but I think that there's just going to be a massive scramble for changing of everything and all the plans it's going to be you know definitely the world before covid 19 and, and then the world after and some of that's gonna kind of be you see what what this new world's gonna look like the, the whole um, entertainment industry you know it's like a nice to have it's not a necessity you can you can live without it right not like food or water or, or air but uh, on the other hand you know when you're locked down it becomes uh, uh, your refuge right right it's something that uh, you uh, you know occupies time and you can and gets your mind off things so yeah. it actually uh, is important in these uh, these times exactly and I guess I don't know if you're if, if you had some um, personal experience with this but I guess that companies who produce content like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon are kind of delaying the the, the releases of new series or stretching out uh, uh, the release because there's gonna be some window when there's no production and until they come back to produce and, and have more content available and Um, they don't need they, they, they can't be in a situation where you know nothing is new and it's all you know the existing catalog so they need kind of to space out the releases now 
and this is what's really scary is, is part of this is how long does this go on, right? Because then there's going to be hard decisions that people have to make. Like, okay, um, I got to cut costs somehow. Which one do I cut? You know, is it, well, these guys are still releasing new content because they've been holding back and trickling it out. Maybe that's going to be something I'm really engaged with and I want to stick with that. Whereas these other ones, maybe it's not been so much. Um, and that's where, you know, I think that's, there's still some long tail until we get there. Um, but that's going to be a really kind of scary, interesting point. And then it's going to be, you know, is that, is that then we see a shift that others are now going to try to potentially go to free model with advertising if the advertising um, dollars are really going to be pushed to be there so that the, they're not anyone that can be on the list of potential issues. Um, you know, I don't see that as likely, but that's that's one of the type of things. And there's also an interesting, you know, concept of like, well, is this going to actually be really good for our industry in the immediate sense if this starts pushing more people to cut the cut the cord? And just go OTT and like, okay, well, hey, I can look at my cable bill and I'm spending, you know, 50, 70, 100 dollars. I could go and get the top three, you know, streaming ones and it'll cost me what, 30 to 40 dollars. You know, there's there's really cost effective options if you are willing to, you know, limit yourself. And even those limitations have for a very broad spectrum of libraries now. Um, so this could see a big shift of, you know, when people start having to tighten that belt more at home, does that push them into the cut the cord space or does that make them reduce from the cut the cord and go with what they're normal and they feel comfortable with and i think that's when we see age demographics and other factors coming into play on those decisions too and uh on the the more technical part of, of the streaming industry how do you see that changing i mean we talked about you know reducing bit rates a new codex what about cdns do they play a part uh, in this game i mean always cdns are, are you know the, the key partner for delivering out your content um for most of the world, right? And Netflix kind of has their own stuff going on. I think it was with Open Connect. Um, but uh, I think they're going to play a key part. I think that, you know, they're one of the levels highly impacted by potential capacity, but I think they've done, I think for most part, what we've seen that they, they, they've handled it very well. Of course, there's variance in region. You know, there's the level of the CDN, there's the level of the ISP. I think CDNs are still going to be critical as they always have been. I think there's going to probably be a little bit more focus on multi-CDN as well because of just so much more concern and attentiveness to potential flux and capacity issues. Um, I think that multi-CDN is going to push forward as one of the remaining high priorities that's been kind of ongoing for a while for a lot of organizations. And that's going to be something that's critical for them, which is a little bit interesting right now that we've seen. Um, there's a little mix up in what's going on and how people really want to go about their multi-CDN strategy. Um, we've seen more customers kind of moving away from the, the Citrix, Sedexa stuff and, and looking to come up with other um, solutions and a little bit of a gap as to how they want to go about it. So I think that's going to be a big portion for the CDN market side. So why are they moving away from, as you said, you know, Citrix and Sedexas? We've seen some of the bigger companies moving away from there because it doesn't seem like they've been really pushing forward the Sedexa stuff, especially in regards to video um, and what it needs to do there, the difference of what it does now versus where it needs to go to. There's always been a little bit also argument about how some of their stuff can be and manipulated from a CDN perspective and give some false results. Um, but the cool thing is they just have so much data um, and so many different of their node checkpoints all, all, all distributed, um, as well as, you know, there's the question of, okay, well, how quickly is it going to be able to perform versus issues that actually arise and other stuff. Um, ultimately, you know, it came out as like, hey, this is the best top tier solution, and it still can be a strong solution. Um, for those who I've worked with or talked with that have used it, um, 
you know, they're like, yeah, I mean, it, it did the job. It was okay, but it, it's not headed in necessarily the direction that we want to or, or as fast as they want it to. Um, so they're looking at either taking this type of stuff and building things internally um, or leveraging other services and combining them as well. So, th- and there's still already, you know, some other good players in the, the multi-CDN space. Um, and it's always interesting to see what's kind of happening there. Um, but right now we're seeing a lot of that kind of come back to, okay, what, what do we want to do internally? And maybe we're going to control that more. Interesting. And in and, and is multi-CDN, in this, you know, COVID-19 world, um, is it more about cost savings or is it about performance? I think cost savings is, you know, always an element there. I mean, that's how it was built originally, right? It really was all about, you know, the least expensive way to get your bits to the home. (laughs) Yeah. The first reason people usually go to multi-CDN is to have a better negotiating standpoint with their CDN providers. Right. Okay. Cool. I want to have, uh, you know, a, a, I want to be able to get better rates across the board, not only from who I'm currently with, but and then also comparing that with new ones, and to do that. I mean, CDN pricing is all about the race to the bottom right now. Right. Now, that's the first level, um, and that still applies. I think we're going to see more interest in multi-CDN to to really for maintaining quality of service that speedy distribution and to avoid potential issues. Um, I think some of that might be misfounded in some of it in regards to like, well, listen, if it's an ISP congestion issue, it doesn't matter <laughs> who you use. And I think that that there's going to probably be some some clarity that's further needed there because I think that there's a chance, I don't want to say well, but I think there's definitely a chance that there'll be a lot of misconception around that. Um, and what's also some stuff that we've seen, like there can be issues that, okay, start switching to alternative CDNs, but the CDN was performing just great. And if it's, you know, an ISP level situation in a region or other factors that, that, that can make a bigger difference. Um, so I still think that's going to be factors, uh, but I think that really it's going to be something that, that people have to determine what's going to be the right play on. Now, I know that you do uh, some projects or even maybe a lot of projects uh, around players and, and devices. Um, I'm wondering if you've got a perspective of, quote unquote, the second screen as um, now on one hand, I see this scenario where, uh, yes, we're all still using our phones at home. And, you know, especially I have teenagers in my house. So, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> the phone never leaves, leaves their side. But at the same time, we're now sitting in front of our TVs and our computers more. What are you seeing or hearing or what are your clients talking about, you know, around mobile experiences? And of course, we just had Quibi launch. You know, um, and it seems like there's sort of uh, on one hand, maybe the timing was not best for them being that no one's commuting and, you know, there's not. uh, But uh, what are you seeing and hearing? Yeah. So, I mean, this is where I think you can run to. There's so many different interpretations of what that second screen means or that second screen experience and so forth. Um, And even on the Quibi side now, I think there's some interesting stuff there. You know, to me, uh, I think where the, the real value is, is attention spans and where attention is put, you know, nowadays, especially in younger demographics. Yeah. They're sitting, they might be sitting in front of the TV, but they also have their phone out. So, you know, is there opportunities to engage across both those within a unified experience? There's always been cool ideas there. Nothing's ever really stuck. Um, You know, people use their phone, what they're going to do to to stay distracted or engage in a different way while they're also paying other attention to that. And that's where even like the, the Quibi stuff, you know, I think is, is interesting. Like there's all for, Hey, we are here to serve the short attention span of the new market. Right. Um, and engage them, you know, in these short bits. Uh, and that's a really cool idea. 
Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, the timing with them is a little weird, more so around like, well, are most people sit in front of their TV or their larger screens right now in whatever fashion that is. And that's where the miss is. And that seems like that's where like, you know, a lot of the social. Well, it was funny to me that, you know, kind of the top complaint is, oh, they don't have a connected TV app. And I'm sitting here thinking like, it's a mobile service, <laughs> like you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that's the interesting thing. And it'd be interesting, you know, well, what is it that would really tie that to, to deeper experience? together you know we are seeing where at least before on the sports side you know there's a lot more of of really cool fast short update information that comes out on sports stuff that you know even while you're watching games you're going to be looking on here and being able to see what this information is whether it's you know scores stats other stuff uh, fantasy things all sorts of elements that can get tied within there and we, we've seen that continually grow and really cool interest there especially for shorts news bits and, and so forth also is i think a real big uh, potential uh, grabber there but, um, you know, and, and how that can then follow through with their, their big screen content. You know, I think Quibi, that's that's a different story where you know, they're trying to do really entertaining and really grab you quick. Um, and, yeah, under normal circumstances, I think this wouldn't have nearly the attention that it, that it has now on the lack of big screen. Um, but, you know, if they're trying to position themselves like, well, we want to be what they're watching on the little screen while they're watching their normal stuff on the big screen. OK, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, it's a, this is a an interesting and in a flux market right now. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of, a lot of challenges that are people going to come up with. And you're always going to have people complain about something, no matter what, um, when you launch something new or different. But are you guys, you know, with the clients that you're working with, are you building any new experiences or, or being asked or hearing people talk about doing something? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing a little bit of interest uh, within there. You know, a lot of this also now, and what I think is going to start to be an interesting concept that's probably a little ways out is subscription fatigue. There's so many different things and it's all over the place. How do I find it? Why can't I access what I want? Oh, I have to have this subscription, that subscription and so forth. Um, we're starting to see already the peak back and because i mean really this is a cyclical system you know a life cycle right um it's about aggregate to individualization to aggregate to individualization um you know we're already seeing that little bit of forward swing to okay well what do we need to do to aggregate whether whether it be from an informational standpoint or how you know there are certain services out here that they can now work on cross licensing stuff um now this is a lot of our focus is within the sports realm. So we're seeing some of that. Um, you know, we're definitely seeing continued focus on uh, what we can do for um, bringing those experiences, with, even with video, with more data. Um, so, you know, interactive data overlays and other stuff within there um, to draw that experience and also then link that to other devices as well. You know, there's always this back and forth of casting and, and the value within there and um, how much is it really drive versus need versus just um, a nice to have and that type of stuff. And then when you're doing that, what else can you do to enhance that experience and, and so forth? So we still have some customers talking or working through different types of um, interesting growth and solutions there. I haven't seen a huge spike within it yet. Um, I think there's definitely a huge opportunity there. It's just no one's really got it yet. Well, this has been an excellent conversation. You know, thank you for joining us, David, and uh, sharing your insights. Oh, of course. My pleasure. Yeah, it's always great to chat. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's one thing, you know, you're in this industry 18 years. Um, Drew and I have been around uh, a number of years ourselves. And, uh, you know, one, one constant is 
change, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you very much, David. This has really been uh, enlightening and uh, we look forward to hosting you again on the Video Insiders. Excellent. Thank you guys very much. You guys have a great day. Hey, you too. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.